the the relationship is a big thing here in in, in China, but it's a big thing in, in South America as well. And and a lot of these products are made in South America as well, or they're made in in um, Eastern Europe. They're made all over the world. It's finding the 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 person that that you're you're an edge with. We we see people get in trouble, you know, with tainted lead paint and stuff that doesn't meet standards that's been sold all over over the place. And most of the time, when we see that. It's coming because, one, someone didn't build a relationship. And when, when your supplier doesn't have a relationship with you and you keep saying to them, oh, I need it 10 cents cheaper or this, well, they're going to cut corners and they don't care about you. And so it's uh, this globalisation thing, one of my underlining pillars is relationships. It's all about relationships. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. I'm Rid Goosens, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Good as always to have you with us on this show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop real estate investors, business owners, and entrepreneurs here in the United States. There's no BS on this show, just in-depth conversations about successfully investing here in the US. I want you all to be educated when it comes to investing, and it really starts with you tuning each and every week to grow your financial IQ and listen to my cracking guests that I have on the show. Remember, you can hit subscribe on iTunes and so that you can be notified each week when a cracking episode is released. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Reed Goosens. Now, before I introduce you to the cracking entrepreneur on today's show, I want to announce that I have a new website where this podcast will be hosted. Uh, head over to my new website, which is www.reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. You're going to find out a lot more about what makes me tick, uh, a lot more about the show, my services, my consulting business. Plus, you're also going to find a host of free educational blogs, videos, and webinars so you can continue learning whilst, you know, between listening to my awesome episodes. That is reedgoosens.com. Remember guys, if you ever are in LA and you want to meet up for a beer, a drink, a coffee, some lunch, just hit me up. Always give me a bit of a heads up notice. I love meeting up with my loyal listeners uh, here in Los Angeles. You can shoot me an, e an email, I should say, at info at rsmpropertygroup.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stephen Pettit. Stephen is an internationalization architect working to create internationalized businesses and lifestyles for his clients. He has started, sold, and operates businesses around the world. Stephen is using his skills to help others internationalize their businesses and lifestyles to take advantage of the opportunities available in the new and ever-changing 21st century economy. Stephen worked as a campaign manager during parliamentary elections and continued as elected representative senior officer, gaining valuable experience with inside view of government and politics. Stephen continues to use his knowledge gained from the past business and political roles to provide strategic advice on business and personal internationalization. So without further ado, let's get him out here. G'day, Stephen. Welcome to the show. G'day, Reid. How are you? G'day, listeners. It's uh, good to be here today. Good morning from my side of the world, but where are you dialing in from today, mate? Um, honkers, uh, the good old uh, Hong Kong here in Asia. Nice. It's, uh, 
Uh, what have we just... 30 at night over here, so... Wow. <laughs> well, mate, I won't, we, won't, we won't keep you around for too long. But, but before we do, we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background and how you became involved in an internationalization architect and your experience with politics and business and where that, has that led you today? Basically, I, I started uh, 15, joined the Australian Navy um, from North Queensland, <clears throat> decided to, uh, to get away from, from cattle and, and, the, and the beaches and that up there and, and go and join the Navy. And I, I did intelligence work in the Navy, more on the electronic side and all that sort of stuff. And I was traveling around the world a lot there. And so that was, I did that for 10 years, come out, joined the, the family businesses. And uh, the, basically my parents were very much, you know, we need to break into the, to the Asian market. We need to buy products from up over there and sell them, sell them cheaper. So I packed up my bags and went and traveling around the world, looking at different markets and different opportunities. And we settled here on Asia to get product made. We're getting product made because we're selling it um, at that stage mainly into, into Australia and New Zealand, but then we branched out into the US and, and, and Europe. And it was construction materials, so pretty heavy, bulky, uh, but very benign sort of products. Most people don't even realize that, that they use our products every day. Um, so, so, so we sold that business uh, around the time of the GFC. Uh, we were one of the lucky ones. We come out with, uh, with money in our pocket. And um, I went back to Australia, and uh, I've always had a strong passion of politics and and uh, where politicians are driving us or where they're not driving us. And uh, so I started to get involved uh, heavily with um, the party politics on a day-to-day basis. And uh, from there, that's led me to creating connections all over the world. Um, I, I managed to be able to meet prime ministers and presidents, and I've worked with some of these uh, since leaving politics uh, in, in Europe and, and here in Asia is an advisory role. And, and now I, I, I use that knowledge and my, my past business knowledge and my current investment knowledge uh, that I'm gaining every day. Uh, if, you're not gain, if you're not gaining knowledge every day, uh, you, you're going backwards. So um, I'm out there learning and, and putting everything I'm learning um, together and creating packages and, and advising, you know, not just individuals and companies, but families who want to create legacies as well. And, uh, and helping them transition this 21st century economy. We're going through a pretty big change uh, globally, and uh, it's, uh, it's good to, to be able to help people and, and, and also take uh, opportunities myself. Nice, nice. Well, mate, congratulations. It sounds like you are very involved on a worldwide scale and worldwide stage, which is really what all entrepreneurs want to be doing, right? To be competing across different borders, um, having a globalized business. So talk to me a little bit about what is an internationalization architect? What, what, what is the, the root and the nuts and bolts behind that, those two words? Okay, so internationalization, looking global, looking at things on a, on a global scale. An architect, we have architects for homes, so we'll not have architects for internationalization strategy. So basically, that's what I do, is I create a, a set of blueprints, uh, a, a set of uh, strategies and, and, and tactics that, and, that you can use uh, to, to go global. And it could be as simple as um, looking at manufacturing product in, in China uh, and then selling it in the US. It could be as simple as taking a US product and, and selling it in Europe. Um, or it could be um, as complicated as an entire family wants to move from Mexico, re-establish themselves in Canada, get new passports, get new everything, get uh, the whole works. So it, it can be a very simple process or it can be a very complicated process. But it's in, 
in the nuts and bolts of it, it's just basically creating a blueprint for your globalized uh, adventure mindset. Business. Right. Yes. And and before we. Yeah, before we started the show, we talked a little about mindset and and given where we are in today's economy, there's a lot of people struggling. You know, you've had that uh, nice fine balance between working with politics but working on a globalization scale. How has that affected your uh, your out your mindset on you know different businesses that you do consult with, and, and and what type of entrepreneur do you have to be to embrace the globalization? Because there's been so much in the news lately about you know, with Trump and within Australia and in with Brexit, you know, people are sick and tired of, of, of this globalization. But, but you know, in my mind, it feels like that train's already left the station. So how do we all start surviving as entrepreneurs and, and, and being competitive as this world continues to change? Yeah, exactly what you said. The, the train has left the station. And, and basically, if you're not on board, you're going to get left behind. Right. Um, politicians these days are ever increasingly looking internal, but they're only looking internal for one reason, that's to, to be re-elected. Mm-hmm. Um, the the powers that be and what's moving around the world, the, the large global uh, corporations aren't going to allow anything to pro um, regress uh, in a way that that's going to uh, damage their their business and, and where they are. So us as entrepreneurs, we should be looking for the opportunities that are complementary to what's happening, but is not necessarily in direct competition. So. You look on the fringes of, of stuff. If, if you have a look at what's going on here in, in Asia at the moment, there's China's pushing this Belt and Road economy. That's 65 nations between basically Asia and Europe. Uh, that inside that, there's a billion people. Uh, there's, a, there's basically $20 trillion worth of GDP growth. So inside there, we can see that if you have a look at countries like Iran, uh, and everyone's told that Iran's a bad place uh, over there in the U.S., well, it's actually not. It's actually a very beautiful country. Um, and they are clamoring uh, to get Western products at the moment. They are they are doing everything that they can to to um, buy on uh, internet sites like souk.com out of Dubai, even out of Amazon uh, and eBay and the likes out of Europe. And there is just so much happening in, around the world, and we need to be looking at it. The other thing I'd say to the listeners is, don't believe what a politician says. Uh, it's it's basically what they say is X and what they do is A. Right. So what you need to be doing is doing what they watch what they're actually doing. Stop watching CNN. Stop watching all the major news news agencies. Or if you are going to to do that, um, have a really open mind, and then look across several different news agencies from several different areas and find out what, what, what's happening. And, and I'll take a, a, an instance. Uh, Africa is a, a classic. I was in Africa about six months ago and everyone was telling me, oh, it's terrible over there. Look what the news are. Look what the politicians are doing. And when I got on the ground in Nairobi in Kenya and then I went on to, to Lagos in, in Nigeria, and um, it was totally the opposite. There, there was um, opportunities galore. There was people wanting to... To, um, uh, to get advice, seek advice and seek help um, because they themselves are, are clamoring for more information and, then, and they're being told, no, you can't do it, the West is bad and, and that. But there, there's, we need to think openly and we actually need to look. And what I say to most of my clients is you can't drive a global business sitting behind a desk. Um, uh, if you want to get in the globalised world, air tickets are cheap these days. Um, you can get some nice premium economy seats, you know, from from 
from the US into Asia or US into Africa or wherever you want to go. Go and do it for two weeks and just have a look around. Start talking to people on the ground, go into the soups and the bazaars and the, the different shopping malls and that and, and start looking at what they're buying and, and, um, <clears throat> and where you might be able to offer a service or offer a product or offer advice or whatever it is your business does. Nice, nice. And it sounds like that you're very much focused on the, the goods and services trades of different developing countries. Is, is, would that be correct or is it, you, you, you are, that's what you've been focused on recently within the, the last couple of stories you've just been telling us? Yeah, that's where, that's where I'm, I'm ever moving towards because I see more opportunity there. Um, if you have a look at the waves through Western society, we're probably coming towards the end of our massive growth, growth phase where I'd say Western societies are stuck in that that one to two percent growth, and we're probably got another 30, 40 years of that before we actually really change. So the next 20 years of growth that I see, and the next 20 years of real opportunity is in developing in the developing world, and it's going to be in areas that we're not even thinking about right now, where the biggest growth is. Um, especially if you've got uh, anything in the services sector, where um, these guys don't want to go to university, a lot of them, because one, it's too expensive. Two, it's too, too time-consuming. Um, a lot of these guys now want to get the knowledge from someone who's got it and put it into action tomorrow. Uh, the, a, quick, a quick story on, on speed. Um, us in the West, we go and find a product in China. It takes us six months to get it to market, maybe eight, nine weeks if you're really, really good. The Chinese will do it in three to four weeks. So the, the world is now speeding up in such a, um, in such a way where um, you, you need to go and chase the opportunities down if you want to get, it, get out there and get ahead of the circle. No, that's very, very interesting on, on being that mindset and having that mindset to embrace change and embrace different things and look out in the society of, of, of these developing countries, even in, in your own backyard, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, and look at what people want, right, and, and need help with. What's their, what's their pain point? And, and then go and try and source that product for them or, or that service and, and provide uh, that to them, which is qu- quite incredible to hear that, you know, people don't want to have take the time to go to university, get, you know, um, in the, some of the developing worlds. They just want to be able to meet, work with someone who's already done it and can help them get their product to, to market. Um, very interesting stuff. You, you briefly mentioned before uh, in, in some of your agricultural business or your, your heavy land moving uh, equipment that you were in a, uh, a product that most people didn't really think of that they needed, but yet they were using on a daily basis. So do you want to talk to me about the types of products you are seeing your entrepreneurs try to bring to market that may not be the most sexiest thing, but a really good revenue generator and cash flow generating? Oh, for sure. And, and the one that I love the most, and it's a business I wish I still had, um, is door hinges. <laughs> door hinges. Um, we used to manufacture door hinges, two, three million of them a year, varying sizes, stainless steel, brass, zinc, you name it. Uh, they went into homes and apartments and that all over the place. Great profit margin. We, we were buying it. Uh, here in, in Asia and manufacturing here in Asia relatively cheaply and selling it for a 10 times minimum uh, at a wholesale level uh, into the US. Uh, so when you went down to your, the Home Depot on that, you're probably paying 20 times or what the, the actual price was. Uh, I wish the internet was as uh, advanced at what it is now uh, when we still had that business because I'd be selling door, door, door handles and hinges and that by the bucket load over the internet. <laughs> and uh, and that, but uh, another one is polypipe for plumbing pipe. 
uh, I've got one guy that I work with and he gets it manufactured in Indonesia and he sends it all over the world. And it's, it's nothing, um, nothing out of the ordinary. It's just um, drainage pipe and, and he, he found a market, found someone that was making it to European and, and US standards uh, and had it tested and, and away he goes. And he's just, he just buys it, sells it and, and uh, moves on. And, and he lives in Thailand. Wow. And his whole business is, is buying and selling um, uh, plumbing pipe. Wow, yeah, that's, that, that's 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 incredible because I have actually subscribed a few times to this whole Am- online Amazon selling and, and finding a product on Amazon to try and then you know flog it here in the United States and you know get contact um, Chinese manufacturers. I was looking at some baby products actually just as recently as you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but how do you become you know you think a door hinges, you think a polypipe, you think there's got to be a million other guys out there doing that exact thing, but. In reality, is it different? And how do you become competitive in, in such a saturated market? You know, being just the average entrepreneur, like where would you even start to go and start looking for polypipe and door hinges? Um, if you if you do, weren't trying to sell it on Amazon or something like that. So, say you, you've got a network of guys, and say you're a plumber, you're Joe the plumber, uh, and you've got yourself a little business. You'll probably know fifty plumbers down there. So you come on holidays, and or before you actually even start. What you do is you go and research the, uh, say, the U.S. import database of all the imported products that are coming in and look for who are, who's importing polypipe and Home Depot and all the majors are importing it. And on that, there'll be the, there'll actually be the contact details of a factory that's supplying it to them or the agent that is supplying it to them. And that could be in China, in Indonesia or anywhere. And that's a free open database. There's tools to do it. Um, but, you know, one Friday night with a, with a six-pack of beer and, and the internet connection, <laughs> you can go and research all this and, and then jump on a plane and, and you know, contact that person and say, I want to come over and visit you. What I find in all these to get your edge is you need to come and visit them because the, the, the relationship is a big thing here in, in, in China, but it's a big thing in, in South America as well. And, and a lot of these products are made in South America as well or they're made in, in um, Eastern Europe. They're made all over the world. It's finding the, the, the person that, that you're, you're on edge with. We, we see people get in trouble, you know, with tainted lead paint and stuff that doesn't make standards that's been sold all over, over the place. And most of the time when we see that, it's coming because, one, someone didn't build a relationship. And when, when your supplier doesn't have a relationship with you and you keep saying to them, oh, I need it 10 cents cheaper or this, well, they're going to cut corners. And they don't care about you. And so it's uh, this globalization thing. One of my underlining pillars is relationships. It's all about relationships. Um, take the, the polypipe guy uh, out of Indonesia. He does nothing on the internet, by the way. He does everything through the network of uh, plumbers he's built up over the years. And he just directly you know, sells to the plumbers from his China, uh, Indonesian um, uh, yep. factories, right? Factory. So he takes container loads of it mm-hmm. and then delivers it to a, a, a basically a buyer's group um, in where that he set up, and then they just take it straight away. So there might be twenty containers, all goes at once over to the USA, and it might be delivered to I think where was the last lot delivered to? I think the last lot got delivered to Houston, mm-hmm. and from there they all come and picked it up and then went and used it wherever they used it. 
Right. So how do you, so you looks like you've got to be doing the, the the both relationships on either side of the coin, right? You want to be going to the, the, the manufacturers in the China or the Indonesia or the South Americas, but then you also got to go on the buyers group. So talk to me a little bit about how you'd break into something like that. Um, you know, and, and we're just using Polypipe because it's the example for today's show, but insert product here, right? Like it doesn't really matter, but you want to make sure it's got good margins. Uh, I take it a Polypipe or a hinge is sort of it's one it's one product like it's not you're not trying to you know it's not, it's not an electronic you know device that you, it's going to be very complicated it's not sharp it's not going to you know hurt someone it's really just made out of that one product it could be silicon I've also known that, that and having that uniform uniformity with the product really helps um, with with quality control and it doesn't really uh, open yourself up to potential risk um, for for you know from from faulty equipment or something like that I say like electronic electronics I should say electronics yeah. Yeah, and, and I tend to try and stay away from electronics un- unless you uh, really know what you're doing. Um, and we and I have clients that do electronics, but they're, they're whiz at it, and that's what they do. Um, but so basically, if you're – we take Joe the plumber in the US, for instance. He'd be part of a plumber's association. He probably goes to Cancun once a, once a year on a, on a plumbing convention or something with a group of plumbers. He's already got a network that he can sell to. He just needs to change his mindset from being another plumber to being a guy that can put a group of guys together and pool their funds and go and buy a whole heap of stuff. And you can and you start small. You don't start doing this on a, on a big scale. You, you start small. Um, you start with enough that, that sort of keeps the factory happy and, and keeps you happy, and then you just build it and build it and build it from there. We, we tend to look for the internet as a quick fix that the internet's going to, um, we can get a million customers overnight, and some people do, and some people can do that really well. But what I find with a lot of people is they've already got a big network. They've already got a network of, of people that, that would buy uh, product off them if it was put to them in a non-competitive way. Right. So you're, so you're, 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 your competitive advantage would be that you're sourcing it directly from China or Indonesia or yep. South America, and I'm going to get it to you at cost or you know a bit over cost, or I make a, I make a few quid, yep. and uh, it's going to be cheaper than what you're going to go pay for at Home Depot, right? Ex- exactly. Right. Um, and and you'll you'll you know you'll be able to buy ten times of it because you, you'll be getting it at a lot cheaper, so you'll be able to quote cheaper. You'll be able to take on larger projects because you know, you, your overhead of, of your equipment's lower, and and so forth and so forth. And by pooling um, guys together, and then you might have a guy in Atlanta and he pulls five people together. You might have a, a guy uh, in uh, Chicago and he pulls five people together. And then they, all of a sudden those ten people, you know, come to you and, and, and buy, buy a, bulk uh, product. a bulk, bulk product yep. while you're buying it for your own needs as well. Right, right, right. Now, that's a, it's very interesting. And it's relating this back to um, real estate investing, because this shows a lot about real estate investing, but um, my my main focus is actually on large multifamily apartments here in the United States. But what I've seen over uh, a lot of investment firms, they've got you know to 2,000 doors, right? And they're now going to China directly themselves as the investment firm and buying the flooring and the, and the light fixtures and the plumbing fixtures directly from China to put into their own product. But then that's spored because, uh, uh, as you said, they've got a network of other multifamily owners, and they say, "Hey, look! Instead of buying at Home Depot and paying three dollars fifty a square foot for for you know vinyl flooring, I can get it to you at a dollar twenty-five." And 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 I've seen it happen. And I was just down in Austin, actually, uh, in, in Texas, over the weekend, looking at some deals, and I met up with a syndicator down there, and he was doing exactly the same thing. It's a it's an awesome business if you're. Um, it also helps pr- reduce risk as an investor because you're you're now got a secondary income stream. 
that's actually outside of owning the real estate. You're, you're supplying you know, your, your product to your real estate, whatever it might be. You might be flipping houses. You might be buying multifamily. You might be buying mobile home parks. Even if you're buying industrial, you know, they still need you know, plumbing. They still need uh, light fixtures. They still need uh, plumbing fixtures. And it's stuff like that that I think I, I love what you're saying because my, my, my goal for RSM Property Group, which is a company I own, is to be a multifaceted you know, investment firm which has little little legs of the table, so uh, it's more stable in, in in a downturn, right? You know, where they have a uh, a supplying company and an investment firm at the same time. Exactly, and then you can use that that firm and, and go into other markets. You might get in down the Caribbean, you might get in down to Mexico, you might even go into Europe, into Spain, and then use the same process over there. But what you've just outlined is is probably what one of the one of the um, the largest ways that I see that any entrepreneur um, moves overseas, especially in the real estate game. Uh, the amount of guys that come over here and uh, where they're buying um, plastic for fiberglass bathtubs, well, they're now buying ceramic because they can get ceramic at the same price that they got fiberglass for back back in the US. Uh, they're now putting in um, better tap fixtures. They're now putting in better better quality uh, products, so they're getting better finishes in in their dwellings. So they're upselling, so they're getting more profit on, on the back end. So if they're paying $10 for a sink that was, uh, you know, a standard sink, all of a sudden they pay $9 in China, so they're, they're saving a dollar still, but it's a better quality product. So you're saving money, you're putting a better quality product in, so you're getting a better finish, so you're getting a better return on your investment. No, 100% agree. And it was actually interesting. I walked uh, four properties on, in San Antonio the other day and, and was talking to uh, the property manager on site, uh, you know, very professional property manager. And I said, oh, how are you, how are you doing your turns? When, when you, when it, and it's like, oh, we, we call a company called, I don't want to name them on this podcast, but um, yep. they, they essentially, they've got the layouts. It's like, okay, we, we've got a two-bedroom apartment coming up. Uh, the tenant's about to move out. We want to get the silver package that we've already pre-negotiated a price with them. And they deliver everything in flat pack to the site. And I was like, hang on, I could do that myself. Why do I need to go through this third party? But he's essentially doing what I would just describe before, right? He's bringing the flooring, yep. he's bringing the plumbing, he's bringing the sinks, he's bringing the light fixtures. And you're off to the races. And when you're owning you know, 200 units and you've got to slowly phase it in over a period of 12 months because it's called a reposition, you, know, you just keep going back to that same supply and he keeps supplying for a one-bedroom or two-bedroom or whatever you might, might uh, be, be needing to, to flip. But it's very, very interesting stuff. It's, uh, it opens your yep. mind to the different opportunities right there, right? And uh, it's, this is awesome. <laughs> And for sure, and you and you can buy a lot of that product, have it warehoused over here uh, in China, have it pre-packed into a forty-foot container, say for four apartments, have it shipped and be be over there ready for you when you're doing those four apartments. Then have the next four apartments packed and then shipped. So you've you've bought in bulk, you've got cheap warehousing, and it's fairly cheap to warehouse over over here, and then you're slowly drip feeding it. Uh, over it as you need it. Right. That's, 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 and it would be probably cheaper to um, uh, store it in, uh, in China and, and Asia than it would be here in the United States, you reckon? Uh, definitely would be. Um, but the other thing is you're not, you're not having to pay, say if you brought the whole one in at once, you've got to pay all your customs duties and tariffs and, and all that up front. Right. And then you're not ready to use it all. So you can actually spread some of your capital. You can become a bit more capital efficient. Uh, in the way that you use your capital and, and feed it in, and now, or or yeah, go ahead, or you might find that you want to redivert some somewhere else because someone else has said, "Oh, 
you know, I love that finish. I'll, I'll take four or five units myself. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, talking about all the tariffs and different stuff like that, you know, I know in the United States here, uh, there's been a big tariff on the um, lumber imports from uh, from Canada. So how does one, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about, there might be a flipper, there might be an investor, they're, they're thinking, now they're starting to think outside the box. They've been listening to, to us talk on about these awesome opportunities for the last 25 minutes. What is the next step to try and be more educated on those different little nuances that new governments may bring in and out of, um, you know, depending on who's in, in, in power? And, 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 and it's sort of, we're going to lead into the, the question of the politics and the investment side um, yep. to help that, yep. that, that, that get to the next stage. Um, one of the easiest things is um, get to know who your local congressman is or your local politician is um, on both sides. Uh, there's always um, the one that's an incumbent and one that's trying to, to unseat him. So you sort of get to know who they are get a know for what they feel. And then they always have newsletters and all that sort of stuff. And every now and then you get invited along to a party, um, like a fundraiser type event. But you meet some interesting people and you get to hear some interesting stuff. The other thing is to start talking to people in, in the industry. So when there's importing, especially around importing, uh, I like to go on you know, phone and talk to uh, import brokers, uh, customs agents. And just sound them out and see what they're, they're complaining about, what their pain points are. Um, and that, that'll get you a, a feel of what's sort of happening in the industry because they'll know that there's massive tariff changes happening or there's a, a whole uh, change coming in their industry before you will. So, it's, so it goes back to building these relationships and building relationships outside of your current circle. Um, that, But when I say outside of your current circle, they – impact on what you're trying to do so by just knowing these people they can give you some inside information and you can yeah you can go and and get yourself on to especially a lot of the um the senate houses and the the congress uh, of each state and that sort of stuff will have a a bill notification system where so as a, as a bill's been put into into uh, into the house to be voted on that they'll be able to notify you and, and, and if you're interested, you just have a, a quick look at it and, oh, okay, uh, just get yourself up and up to speed with what's going on. Right, right. So you really from, from A to Z, uh, are you, is your company in something like that would help uh, an entrepreneur out there looking to, to make that transition uh, to being well thought uh, across the, the spectrum from you know sourcing something in China to looking at the importing uh, tariffs and taxes to then also helping with the uh, buyers group on once you get it here to the United States. Is that where you come in your consulting business works? Yes, so that, that's where I work. So I work and, and bring all that together into a, a lovely map and a blueprint for you. And I've also then, then I can start introducing you to my network. So you know, I've got my sourcing agents that, that I work closely with here in Asia and I've got people on the ground that I work with in the US in warehousing and logistics and uh, in politics, if you if you want to go that far, uh, and same in Europe and in Australia. So uh, I I build and I've been building my network for for quite a quite some time. Uh, so yes, so uh, I, I allow people to to basically grab my Rolodex. <laughs> and so when someone approaches you with a business idea, are you giving them advice on on how to go and find that pain point? Like we talked about 
poly piping, you know, if it's needed in every single mm-hmm. household across the country, in, in no matter where you are. But are there some things where people might come to you with a little bit more of a different type of product and you say, well, I don't know, have you done your research well enough to make sure to know that this is going to sell well in the given country you want to you want to go to? And if they haven't, is, is there any recommendations you can you can give on where to go and make sure that you are doing the right research on the front end to make sure your product is going to be well received? Yeah, okay. So basically what I do, and this is how I do it, um, I'm, I want to go into, say, Myanmar or Burma. Uh, the first the first piece that I'll go to is Invest Burma. There's a government organisation that is totally dedicated for foreign investors. So go and have a chat to them. Go and find out what they are trying to solve. And then if you really want to get into that country, go and have a quick visit. They will then introduce you to lawyers and accountants and, and people that that have their fingers on the gross chambers of commerce and all that sort of stuff. And they'll be able to tell you really quickly um, if your idea or if your product or service is a fit or tweak it this way and now it's a fit. Got it. Got it. And for people who are trying to then break into, say, the United States, is it the same type of thing? If, you know, we're, we're talking about investing oh, exactly. in the United States, it's, 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 but it might yeah. be a little bit more readily available online, correct? Yeah, there's a lot more online with the US, but what I also find is, Go down to the is it oh, I forget what it's called the commercial service the um, the American commercial service uh, they and um, Import USA uh, what's the other one I was just actually at one of their functions uh, Brand USA um, they, these are all organisations that are geared towards helping people get into the USA um, the the US does this really well so does Britain. Um, and Australia and, and a lot of a lot of the sort of the commonwealthy nations do it well, but the US is probably the best that I've seen at it, where they really give you enough support and help and they'll be able to help you in the right direction. Don't rely on them 100%. Use them to get from A to, to C, but then to go D, E, F, that's when you need to start doing your own research and then start building your own, own gaps. But they would have helped you get to that stage anyway right interesting so just to summarize everything what's the what's the biggest advice you can give to someone who is looking to break into this world um you know and take that first step and then you know maybe lay out the the map again for everyone who's been listening um on today's show yeah so basically the 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 first step is it's a mindset change so you've got to be willing to look over the ridge and it's not always greener. Sometimes it's it's pretty damn brown. But over the other side of the brown is, is green. Um, so you can get there. The first thing is your mindset. What, why, am I, why am I doing this? Then the next thing is, is I work by the principle of business is a team sport. So who do I need on my team to make this a success? People like myself, for instance, we can definitely put you on the right path. Uh, by engaging us and and basically laying out a full blueprint, and we'll work from you from day one to say, you know, what why you're doing this, what's your goals, what try and legacy you, you're trying to leave, uh, do you want to build your business up to ten million and sell it? There's a whole heap of questions we ask, and then they dictate a whole blueprint, and then uh, I can introduce you to lawyers and and all that sort of stuff. The biggest thing is, as, as I say, and I'll go back to this over and over again, is you can't do it from behind a computer a lot of the time. Even trying to break into places like Europe, um, 
you can get your your initial information from there. But then the next thing is, plane tickets are cheap. Jump on a plane, great holiday. And as a business, it's tax deductible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, any other advice that you once you've got your your ideas up and running to help you continue to grow your business successfully? Get yourself out of the day to day management, and then take on the investor mindset. So when you're going global, uh, you want you you'll be juggling multiple businesses. So you because you'll be you know registered in the UK, you'll be registered in in, um, in the US. You'll have an import export business in in Hong Kong. You, you might have a, a, a treasury management operation in Malta. Um, so you don't want to be running any one of those at any one particular point in time. So you want to be above it. You want to be out of it. You want to be looking more strategically of where you're going around the world and how it's all working. Uh, and as I said, it's a team sport, so you need to you need to have multiple teams of income when, you, when you're really doing this right. Right. So, so making sure you're employing the right type of person to help you with the day-to-day yeah. so you can essentially look at the work on your business, not in your business, so to speak, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 Yep. Cool, man. That's exactly right. Well, look, um, I'd like to end the show with a, a quick fire round of the top five investing yep. tips. You ready to get into it? Definitely. All right, mate. What is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Read something. Read something. I love what you said at the beginning of the show. You said, always continue to be learning something because if you stop learning, you, you stop growing, right? Exactly. Yep, mate. What is my and and I read. I've I've got two or three books going at any one time. Who who? What's on your uh, bedside table right now? Well, what's brought on is uh, more money than God: the story of hedge funds mm-hmm. and Russell Brunson's expert secrets. Okay, perfect. I'm gonna write these down and go all in the show notes. Uh, second question, mate: Who is the most influential person in your career to date? My father. Nice. He, he was a big, big, big influencer to try and get you started in the uh, where you are now today? Definitely. Yep. Definitely. Nice yeah. Uh, who is the most, inf- what is the most influential tool in your business, um, given that you are so global? And a tool might be your computer, your phone. It might be, you know, you, you, it sounds like you're very big, heavy, uh, heavily relied upon your network. What is that one tool? My notepad. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I, I can't remember everything. <laughs> Get it out of your mind and onto paper, right, as they say. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mate, what has been the biggest failure in your business career so far and what have you learned from that? I, I, I know talking about to people about their successes um, is great, but it's actually the failures that tend to be the things that you learn the most from. So, so what was yours? When I was 22, getting into a million dollars in debt and blowing up a business. <laughs> you want to expl- elaborate a little bit more on that? 22, what happened there? Okay, so I was still in the Navy at the time, yeah. and um, I'd started a, an import-export uh, import business uh, with um, a couple of friends of ours, and we had a bit of a recession in Australia, and we got, got lumped with a lot of import bills and a lot of stuff that we just couldn't, um, couldn't shift and move. Uh, so we had to basically liquidate and, uh, and um, negotiate with the banks to, uh, to not put us under. Uh, but we ended up failing. The business collapsed, and, and away we went. So it's a million dollar lesson for you. Well, it was an expensive lesson. So what was the biggest le- the lesson you learned out of that? Was it the way in which you did business, the the tracking, the timing of the market? You said there was a bit of a recession. Did that play into it? How did you all? Oh, yeah. Takeaway tips. Um, takeaway tips. Not having the right team. We okay. tried to do it ourselves. So you know, we we just didn't 
didn't have the right team, um, not understanding what was going on in a global in at the global level, the recession, the the other bits and pieces that were happening outside of our circle. Right, right. Um, and that's when I, you know, that's when I started to really understand. Well, okay, there's more to to business and and that, and not having the right relationships. Got it. No, I think it because all... if I had the right relationships, I would have been able to move the stock. <laughs> so it's very, very important to come to someone like you to make sure you can, if you're going to buy a product and start importing it into any country, you've got to make sure you've got to be able to have this buyer's group on the other end. Uh, mate, last yep. question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? You've been an extremely powerful guest on today's show. I want to make sure people reach out to you and uh, hit you up if they've got any other questions that they, they might have. Yep, okay. My uh, personal website, uh, stephenpettith.com. Yep. Uh, I Just come on there and drop me a note and... Um, and we can either grab a call or work something out. Perfect. All right, mate. Well, mate, I want to just quickly summarize today's show because I think there's been a lot of takeaway pieces of advice. You know, the biggest thing is I think having that mindset change that globalization is here. It is here to stay. And if you, you know, if you listen to all the politics, um, you know, and, and I, I, I subscribe to a couple of different different people, but, you know, in essentially, governments are defined by their borders, and a lot of a lot yep. of businesses are kicking those profits outside of those borders. But the fact is, you've got to be a, a business entrepreneur to 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 roll with the punches, so to speak, and you've got to have that mindset to look over the, the over the horizon, as you, as you said before. Um, you can't do yeah. it from behind a desk. I think that was a really really important one. You got to get out on the ground, bring on managers, so you're you're not working on the day to day, but you're working on on the business, and, and make sure you're having a strategic mindset moving forward. Uh, the, it, it, everything it's not rocket science, and you could go out and learn it. And, and obviously talk to someone like yourself to help those entrepreneurs, you know, take that next step, get from, you know, from a, from step C to step E, right? Yep. And the only other thing I, w I would, um, I would add to that is like my African friends, action. Just <laughs> do action. it. Yep. Get off the fence. If you right? fail, who cares? Just get off the fence and do it. Right. Uh, I, th I think over the time now, most entrepreneurs, we know everything that we're ever going to know. Mm -hmm. um, and we've probably known that way, way before, for now. Um, so now just get out and do it. Get out and do it, take action. I think the biggest thing for, for a lot of people that drive, particularly that drives myself, is, is, is regret. I would hate to wake up when I'm 70 years old and think, what if I had a crack at that one business, that input export business, and, and change the way my, uh, my entire investment portfolio works. Well, Stephen, you've been an incredible guest on today's show, provided some great advice. Uh, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon. Will do. Thank you very much.